time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 101 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. And we kiss them too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? This is Sumatra. Oh, it's good. It and is. it's strong. That's also a breed of chicken. Yes, it is. Ah. Are you ready to sip some coffee and chat? I am. But first, a word from our sponsor. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubbly Farms. This month, you can receive 30% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a long-time subscriber, and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats, plus all products ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubbly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein. It's perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot be combined with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code CWTCL30 for 30% off your first purchase. Try it today. Okay, so the sun is shining today. We're happy with that. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a little nippy, but it's beautiful. Less Um, rain. I'm waiting for a hard frost because I have garlic and onions to plant. Oh. To keep the vampires and whatever else. For the Halloween spooky time. Well, yeah, Halloween is a week from now, but when this drops, we'll be right after Halloween. Yeah, exactly. It's been nicer. It's been chilly, but hey, I think it's been a dream weather pattern for the chickens. Oh, it's been beautiful. Yeah, they yeah. really like it. Mm-hmm. Out of the rain. It makes me feel better when it's not raining out yes. there. And uh, I've just been happy with it. I have a little bit of news. Basil, she is laying eggs. That Yay. little girl. The Andalusians and Rita, our Delaware, are the youngest of all of our chicks. Yeah. Well, I had the weird thing where Praline, we are still integrating at this time. And Praline, the light Brahma, laid an egg about a month ago. Yeah. She has not repeated. No one in that first group of pullets has started to lay. Mine either. And the Andalusians and the Delaware, Apple Blossom looks ready to lay anytime. So does Rita. Beautiful red comb, but my Andalusians still have pink combs. So Basil has a huge, I mean, it looks like an adult comb. It's bright red. It's big. It's floppy. And Rosemary, her sister, has a little, it's just starting to get a little bigger, still pinkish color. She's not ready to lay yet. So Basil is an overachiever. <laughs> and let me tell you, these eggs are cream. They're tiny. They're pullet eggs. They're so cute. They look identical to the Egyptian Fayumi they eggs. They do. Really cute. Pearly is a really apt description. They're not quite white. They're no. not quite tan. Yeah. But they have this pearl sheen to them. They're really beautiful little Yeah, and eggs. I can put them next to Lucy Lou's eggs. And those are leghorn white. Well, those are big white chalky eggs. And they're yeah. not the same. No, definitely so, not. Yeah. Molting is crazy over here right now. Crazy. A lot of my people are coming out of the other side of it. Most of them are slow molters. Dolly Madison, the Dominique, has the catastrophic molt. She's pretty much grown out. The Jersey Giant girls are starting to drop feathers now. I feel bad for them. It's crazy over here, man. And I'm waiting for Mary Berry, the Speckled Sussex, and Franny, the Leg Bar, are both very slowly starting to molt. They may just be another long, slow molt. Yeah, I feel sorry. By the time this goes up, I'll probably have the picture up. I really don't want to put it up, but it's kind of like one of those, like, you have to put it up of June with the one tail one feather. tail feather, yeah. Poor June, my lavender. She was beautiful before the molt, but now she'll be beautiful again. She's still beautiful. She's just beautiful without a tail. Oh, Lord. We're looking forward to some good fall activities coming up. Yes. Jumping in leaves. 
No. Jack-o'-lanterns. <laughs> she said no to jumping in leaves. <laughs> well, it always triggers my allergies. <laughs> I loved it as a kid. <laughs> okay. So if you're listening to this show and you're loving it, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for the growth of our show. We love to read them. It makes our day. And while you're there, hit that subscribe button. That also helps us grow a lot. You can also share your favorite episodes on social media. You can tell a chicken-loving friend about the podcast. You can visit our Etsy shop and check out our t-shirts and the new mugs we have listed. You can become a patron of the show, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. The top two levels get a monthly bonus episode. And a Zoom call with us every month. But yeah, that's the top tier. We love it. The other thing you can do to help support the podcast is visit our show notes, use our codes and affiliate links, and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! Hey, Chris. Yeah? Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me take a minute to tell you about the chicken love box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the mega box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the August box, I absolutely love the chicken pot holders and the IKEA scrub brush. My chickens are going crazy over those grubbly grubs in that box. And the chicken note cards are going to be great to send into school with the teachers. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order, and shipping is always free. Such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box of a three-month subscription or more. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals health products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. The Breed Spotlight is brought to you by Murray McMurray Hatchery. Defining quality for generations. For over a century, Murray McMurray Hatchery has remained a trusted family-owned business, working tirelessly to ensure our poultry meet the highest standards. Whether you are an experienced enthusiast or just embarking on the journey, look to McMurray Hatchery for guaranteed quality rare and heritage breeds, low minimums, and all the supplies you need to raise your flock. Request a free catalog. Bum, bum, ba, dum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, it's time for the breed spotlight, yeah. 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 I think you must like this chicken. I love this chicken. <laughs> so this week we're doing another 2.0. The Well Summer. The My Gertie well- girl. <laughs> They're really special chickens in a lot of ways. Um, and one in my heart. Yes. Well, Gertie she's is irreplaceable. Gertie. She's she's um baby. I have at various times considered getting well summers, but I have not at this point. But it is definitely a chicken that anyone could have in their flock and not go wrong with. Between the two of us, we have one well summer, extra special girl. Yeah. Love her to pieces. And you know, it's so funny because I'll put Gertie's picture up on social media and I'll get mixed comments. Some people are like, this chicken is a little bully. And most people say that they aren't, but Gertie has never been that. Someone says that well summers are bullies? Yeah. Well, again, it depends on your flock dynamic. And it depends on every individual chicken, just like every individual person. Yeah, it really can. You know, when we do a breed spotlight, we're giving you a generalization, but your mileage may vary depending on your flock structure. Yeah. 
The Wellsummer is a Dutch breed, and they were developed in the village of Wellsum. Yes. W-E-L-S-U-M. Here in the U.S., we spell Wellsummer with two M's. Mm-hmm. In the Netherlands, you often see this chicken just with one M. It's closer to the original spelling, right. I guess. So that's just an FYI if you're doing any research and you're looking at European sources. Right. They do spell it differently than we do. So the Wellsummer's primary purpose was, and really still is, laying richly colored brown eggs. That are speckled. Sometimes. Sometimes, right. Some of them are, they call it a terracotta shade of red. Yes. But the colors can vary. Right. And we were looking at the egg card for the Wellsummer Club of yeah. North America. And Gertie fits in there. We talk about Gertie a lot. I'm going to just say this so that everybody who doesn't know about Gertie will understand. She's a chicken that I have that was in the olive egg barrel at the farm supply store. So you thought you were getting an olive egg. Or, even thought though she looked totally different than every other chick in the band. <laughs> totally different. And she had a lot of health problems and she made it through. So she doesn't lay the speckled eggs and she doesn't lay super dark chocolate eggs, but she does lay a terracotta egg. We will have this linked in the show notes. If you look at what they call the egg card for the Well Summer Club of North America, you will see that there are several egg it's colors. A plethora yeah. of different types. And it's almost like a rainbow within the breed. Yeah, it's all a spectrum of these reddish brown eggs. Yeah. Some speckled, some not. It's interesting and it's worth checking out if you have any interest in either the Well Summer or Dark Eggs. They are a European heritage breed, but they're not considered a heritage breed here in the U.S. Boo, hiss. Well, <laughs> they're also not endangered. No, which is awesome. Yeah. There is a wide variety of availability for yes. these birds, which is a very, very good thing. It is, yeah. Now, one of the good things about them is they can be shown here. Yeah. They were accepted into the American Poultry Association Standard of Perfection in 1991. That oh, is not that long ago. That's our first year of college. I know. Wow. That's not that long ago. No, no. One of the most interesting things about the Well Summer Standard of Perfection to us is that it takes laying ability into account. That normally doesn't happen. It's fascinating to me. One of the reasons that the Well Summer took off is that Dutch farmers could sell the brown eggs for more than the white. It's always been that way. There's a thing people have against white eggs. This could be someone's thesis, but in the U.S. in the 20s and 30s, there was a swing towards white eggs because they, for whatever reason, white was better. And now it's swinging the other way. Right, exactly. So the Dutch farmers could sell the brown eggs for more than the white. So it became an important breed economically. It was interesting to sit and think of how many of the Dutch breeds are white layers. Yeah, there's they a are. lot. Yeah. The breed is so important that there are even a pair of Wellsummer statues in front of the church in Wellsum. I think we need a chicken lady trip there. Seriously. So we can see these statues. A pilgrimage to Wellsum. Yes. And the other famous place you will see Wellsummers is that King Charles used to keep a breeding flock of them. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. From what I could find, he does not have them anymore. I'm assuming they were at his high grove estate. Yeah. But yeah, he did have a breeding flock I mean, of well when you look at them, they're beautiful. They and are. the dynamic of the feathering and the way the sun hits them with the golden brown and the oranges and the yellows of their feathers, their beauty is dynamic. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're a gloriously beautiful breed of chicken. They really are. So Wellsummer development started around the village of Wellsum in the late 1800s. Okay. So we're talking a while ago. Yeah. The origins were probably a particular strain of country or land race or farm bird yes. that someone started to breed for improvement. Some of the farmers around Wilson wanted a brown egg layer, as we noted earlier. It was either because they wanted the profit or because they just wanted something different than the white eggs. It's still the same thing today. You can get white eggs. People are like, oh, white eggs. 
Everybody wants rainbow eggs. Everybody wants speckled eggs. People right. don't change. It's the same thing over time. You know, if you talk to a historian, the first thing we say is that people are all the same. They're the same. They have the same struggles, whether you're talking about previous in time or now. It's variations on a theme. And everything comes around. It keeps Cycles, going. It's yeah. a big cycle yeah. in a circle. Yeah. So yeah, it's the same thing back then as it is today. So in 1928, a breed association was formed in the Netherlands to help support the breed and to establish a breed standard because these birds that the farmers were working with, it's sort of like the early days of the Rhode Island Red. Their appearance was kind of all over the place as they were trying to work out this breed. So they came up with the breed standard. That helped them achieve a more consistent appearance, and it also supported their superior laying ability. Yeah. Now, the Well Summer only comes in one color variety here in the U.S. And that's the red partridge. That gorgeous, gorgeous color, the red and partridge. Does it need to come in another color? I really don't think it does. You can find two or three other color variations in Europe, but I believe this to be the primary color variation. It's like the sun shining down and you just hear the... Ah! That's why we say it's glorious. It really it, is. I mean, yes. And when you witness it for yourself and the way sun hits it and it just beams and shines after a molt, you're like, there doesn't need to be another color. You know what I read? And I guess it's true. I don't know. I read that the rooster on the cornflakes box is supposed to be a well summer. Wait, we said that one was... The Chanticleer? Chanticleer. I don't know. So it's like two different breeds claiming that they're on the Kellogg's cornflakes box. I think it looks more like the Chanticleer, to be honest with you, than a well summer. I thought it was like lots of primary colors and didn't even look like a real chicken. The source that I was using said that that rooster's name is Cornelius, often called Corny the Rooster, and he's a well summer. I don't know. I have a Cornelia and call it Corny. I know you do. I laughed at that. Once you have put your eyes on this red partridge pattern, it will come as no surprise that some of the foundation breeds are partridge cochin, partridge winder, partridge leghorn, the Barnenvelder, and the Rhode Island red. Yes. I mean, they kind of have the same color variations. Gorgeous. They really are stunning chickens. So they arrived in the U.S. sometime in the early to mid 20th century, but they didn't really gain much popularity until they were AP accepted. And again, that was 1991. I can see that. Once they had that standard of perfection with the APA, they did start to gain some popularity. Now, it looks like many of the bloodlines here in the U.S. were imported as hatching eggs originally. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. There was also importation of some English bloodlines through Canada. Okay. I saw a source for that somewhere. Now, this was a little confusing. The Well Summer is often classed as a light to medium bodied breed in various countries, but they're actually large birds. They're definitely not light to medium. They're medium to large. Medium to to large, yeah. That's where I would put them. According to the APA standard of perfection, roosters should average around seven pounds and hens around six. I believe that to be so. I mean, when you look at them. You think Gertie weighs about six pounds? About that. Okay. She likes to eat. (laughs) (laughs) The girl likes to eat. I mean, we should probably note that even today, there still seems to be some disparity amongst weight. You know, maybe that's a result of differing bloodlines. I saw one breeder who said her hens rarely got heavier than four or five pounds. I think it's a lot of, let's look back genetically where these bloodlines are coming from. Are Uh they coming from a larger or smaller chicken? And that plays along with everything with genetics. Cochin Wyandotte. And Barnevelder and Rhode Island Red. They're big girls. But the leghorn, the partridge leghorn is a little bird. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't know what that, you know, that country stock that they started off. So many of the Dutch breeds are little, like the campine and the brackle. They're smaller chickens. So if you put the well summer next to them, they are large. Yeah. Definitely. And and you know what? To me, it's a medium to large bird for your flock. Uh You're going to need a medium amount of space. They're not a little like a leghorn, but they're not big like an orpy either. Right, right. You know, they're not full feathered, way big that way. They have kind of compact feathering. The Orpingtons and the Cochins and the Brahmas, their butt fluff is like, bam! 
yeah. huge fluffy booty. It's a lot more narrow in yeah. the well summer. Look up the well summer on Google or go to our Instagram page. We have Gertie everywhere. Yeah. And you there's know, a lot of Gertie. There's a lot of Gertie. So you can see what a really beautiful well summer looks like yeah. and the coloring and the body shape. So that red partridge is a very colorful pattern. It is. So you're talking about a lot of reddish brown feathers. With lacing. Yeah, laced with black. Mm-hmm. And in the neck feathers, you've got this coppery gold feather that's laced with black. It's, it's a stunner. Yeah. If you want a bird that's going to knock your socks off with feathers, this was one of them. Yeah. Gorgeous. Well, we've got Barnavelder in there. And Barnavelder feathering that's is another one. just... Yeah. Wow. So the roosters, the, the hens are beautiful, but the roosters are even more colorful. They've got all this copper and gold well, you and know black. how I feel. They always give the boys all the colors. Come on now. <laughs> that could be the cornflake bird. It could be the cornflake bird. Okay, Whoever so said it was a Chanticleer, I don't know. They both kind of remind me of each other. It's the, well the roost. Yeah. Clearly, our scholarly research does not extend far enough into cornflakes. Who's on the cl- cornflakes <laughs> box? If somebody knows, let us know. We would love to know yeah. for sure. They're boys beautiful. are always beautiful. Yeah, you yeah, know, and yeah. they always give the boys more colors because they want the boys to attract the girls. When Gertie has been in her heyday, when her comb was huge and gorgeous, people have mistaken her for a rooster. Oh, my God. Remember when she was a baby and I would call you up or send you pictures? And I'm like, I think it's a boy. Because first of all, I'm thinking it was supposed to be an olivager. Right. And I'm like, this is no olivager. Yeah. I'm sorry. I started trying to figure out what kind of bird this was. Oh, my God. I got so many texts from you. You think she's this? You think she's this? You think she's this? Oh, but what about this one? You think she's this one? And it's like, okay, what's mixed in an olivager? A well summer is. Right. So somehow maybe an egg got in there that was just all well summer. I can ID her with 100% confidence that she is a well summer. No doubt. And once we figured that out, we were like, oh. Okay, right. Things make more sense, right? So back to their appearance, they have a moderate sized straight comb. That can vary. I've seen hens with a much more moderate sized comb than Gertie. Gertie has a big comb. Yes, she does. They have red faces, red earlobes. Clean yellow legs. Those yellow legs. But you know, with all chickens, as they get older, yellow legs will fade. Yeah, they do. So after a few years, what was bright yellow as a baby, a chick, and maybe a year or two. Can fade to like a cream color. Or a white colored leg. Yeah. They have somewhat tight feathering, like we mentioned earlier, and they have these intense reddish eyes. Look right through you. Look right through you. There's also a bantam version. That would be, oh, mini ones. That would be really cute. So cute. Now, the thing with the bantams, and this is bantams across the board, and this is probably because their oviduct isn't that long. Right. Their eggs are not as dark as the large fell well summers. It makes sense. Yeah. So tell us about their laying. Okay. So they're good layers of the terracotta kind of brown speckled or non-speckled eggs and about four weeks. So they're really good layers. That's a good layer. Yeah. Gertie, like I said, at one point we thought she might not ever lay again. And then she was like determined and just started laying. amazing. Yeah. So they're really, really good layers and they're not known to go broody. Okay. I always say this. That's a plus on my end because I'm not looking to have a broody hen. Right. Exactly. Yeah. If you don't need a broody hen, you don't want them (laughs) going in the nest box for weeks. Now, my favorite part, some times of the breed spotlights is talking about their personalities. Uh-huh. I love talking about the personalities because they are all different in different genetic ways and bloodlines uh-huh. and, and just different as an individual. But the experience that I have is super friendly, super talkative, and highly, highly intelligent. Oh, yeah, definitely. These are very smart chickens. And highly trainable. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Because Gertie is completely trained in certain ways. Oh, she's potty trained for one thing. She's potty trained. I talked about this before. And the thing is, you didn't potty train her. She did it herself. She did it herself. But it's so funny. Like, 
I remember because it was her and her four lavender sisters. And the first winter, those lavenders sat out in the snow and she would just put her head outside that coop and look at them like, come on, what are you doing? Oh, I remember that. She'd be like, what in the heck? And she would just be in there. she go back in. 10 minutes before a thunderstorm, she's in the coop. Yeah. They're really, really intelligent. And the other thing is they're great with kids. She'll sit on your lap. She goes for car rides. It's all in how a lot of this is how much you handle them also. Absolutely. Especially as chicks. But you know, if they start off with a mellow personality, it's very easy. Oh, she wasn't mellow in the beginning. I was going to say that. I take that back because it's not a mellow personality with the well summer. I would say it's more like a curious and friendly personality. I remember calling you and saying, this girl just did the wing dance. Yeah, I remember. I was like, wait, are you sure it was a wing dance? (laughs) I was like, yes. And we would come in when she was like maybe just a few months old. And then she would go after our feet. And I'm like, oh, no. And she is also, they're so talkative. Sometimes she has what's called the pterodactyl scream. Yeah, I didn't believe that. Ella came in the house one day and said, Gertie just opened her beak and screamed at me. And I'm thinking, okay, she just squawked. And then I went outside. She screamed at you. She screamed at me. And I was like, (laughs) what? I've never in my 20 years of keeping chickens have I ever had a chicken scream at me like that. It's hilarious. The chicken did everything weird that you could do. Yeah, she did. She did. But that's the thing I like about the well summer. They're like quirky. They're quirky, yeah. Yeah, they do fun stuff. And you know what? It keeps you on your toes as a chicken keeper. And it makes life a little bit more exciting as a chicken keeper. Well, it's fun. We would recommend this chicken for anybody in their flock. Oh, yeah. They're definitely a great homestead breed. I mean, like you said, they're super smart. They're excellent foragers. They love digging for the bugs and finding food. They're excellent show chickens, too, because they're gorgeous. Yes. They're great in the garden. And they're hardy. Yeah, they're very hardy. You know what else? They're very, very, very good at just being beloved pets. They are. The thing I like about them is they have a strength in them that you don't see in every single chicken. They're strong yet personable. Uh So they have a will, they have a strength, and they have some weirdness, but they're going to love you. Yeah. I love their quirkiness. I think they're hilarious. Gertie in the stroller at the breweries all the time is crazy. She's a superstar at the breweries. They have a trainable personality. They're Uh intelligent. Yeah. It's one of my favorite birds. They're a popular chicken, and rightly so. There's a million good things about them. Like you said, they're very hardy, healthy birds. And actually, one of the nice things about them is they do very well in most climates. Yeah, and in a mixed flock. Yes. They do really, really well in a mixed flock. They're not too assertive, and they're not too I mean, if you have well summers in charge in your flock, and let's say they're they're your oldest birds, and we know that conveys authority, Mm -hmm. and you bring in something like a cochin, maybe they do pick on them. I believe that that would fade. Well, I mean, if we're getting this on social media, people saying they're a bully, they might only be talking about this year. Right. You know, they haven't necessarily had their chickens for a very long time. Yeah. So I, that's why I was kind of bewildered a little bit about those comments. But every chicken's an individual. And yes. that chicken could very well be a well, bully. Well, you know, people have said to me, my Swedish flowers are on the bottom of the pecking order. But my Swedish flowers were the original oh, hens yeah. in that coop. And there's nothing of the shrinking violet about those girls. No. They are no, no, tough no. as nails and they are in charge. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of factors that play into it. Yeah. But for a homestead bird, this bird is up towards the top. Absolutely. We did an episode uh, with the main topic about understanding flock dynamics not long ago, episode 92. Right. And really got in depth about the way flock dynamics affect even your breeds. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could have the sweetest chicken be put into a different flock and play one role or the other opposite of what you would think. Right. So, yes, the chickens that surround them are going to affect the personalities of all the yes. chickens. Yes, yeah. So if they have to toughen up to actually survive in a flock, they're going to. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a soft chicken will have to toughen up. Unless they're in my Brahma flock. All my chickens in my soft flock are like, these Andalusians, man, what did you do to us? 
but they're kind of all softening up now and uh-huh. actually it's getting better. Yeah, it just takes a little while. Yeah. But Gertie, she was out of the flock for a year. Yeah. And was just reintegrated with the babies of the season. Right. So that's one thing that is truly amazing about this breed of chicken mm-hmm. is that she could be out of the flock dynamic for a year and now living well, her life back in that flock. Yes, you're right about that. But I will also say that this is a testament to your skill as a chicken keeper because you manage that integration very carefully. Oh, and it worked. It took time, but we did yeah. it. Do you have a well summer? I do not have a well summer. Or does someone out there have a well summer? <laughs> I'm sure plenty of our listeners do because they Send are popular. Send us pictures. Yeah. Now, if you're looking for Well Summers, you're not going to have that much trouble finding them. Check out the Well Summer Club of North America. We'll link to their website in the show notes. They've got that egg card that we were talking about with all the Well Summer egg colors and a lot of other great information. If you can't find any place near you that sells Well Summer chicks, a lot of the farm supply stores are carrying them now. Yep. If you're looking for show quality Well Summers, we would encourage you to look at the breeders list with the Well Summer Club. You can also get them from Murray McMurray. They have a beautiful line of Well Summers. You can get most chicks, all heritage breeds from McMurray Hatchery, and you're going to be so pleased with your bloodline. Absolutely. Now, you can get them if you don't want to have them sent to you. You can get them at your local farm supply store. Check the schedules. Right. But if you can't find them there, again, you can get them at McMurray. There are a lot of well summer breeders around too. So, you know, just a Google search could help you. We said this about the Sussex, but this is another chicken that this is the only chicken you could have. You've got a great chicken. Yeah. Beautiful, stunning eggs, stunning personality. Good layers. Great Uh, all around chicken. The only caveat to that would be is if you wanted them as a homestead breed, the hens don't really go broody. So yeah, you would have to have an incubator. Yeah. Or another breed that went broody. But yeah. yeah, So anyway. Okay. So send us your pictures and stories of your well summers. We can't wait to see them and celebrate them. We'll give you a story. If you're looking for a chicken coop that's produced in a planet-friendly, sustainable way, try Nestera. Each coop is made from highly durable, 100% recycled plastic that keeps the equivalent of up to 2,000 shampoo bottles out of a landfill. Their clean, modern design will fit into any garden or run area and comes with an industry-beating 25-year warranty and a range of handy accessories. Simple to put together, so quick and easy to clean, and most importantly, red mite resistant. Your chickens will love it. Quick shipping from Amazon.com or Nestera.us. Use our code CWTCLP10 for 10% off. Check them out today. Roosties proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, take a look at Roosties store on Amazon.com. We've personally tested their products and we're huge fans. They have their famous nesting pads, those fantastic chick water and feeder kits, do-it-yourself port feeder kits, water or nipple, and water or cup kits. And you don't even need to drive to the stores. They're all available for prime delivery on Amazon.com. Visit Amazon.com and check out the Roosties range or follow the link in our show notes. Okay, so now we're going to move on to main topic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so for this week's main topic, we are talking... The integumentary system or chicken skin and all the things attached. Yeah. The integumentary system is really fascinating. Right. It's one of those, you know, you talk about all the internal systems. This is one of the biggest systems, one of the most important systems. Because when you think about it, on people, it's the same thing. Yeah. The biggest part of your body, the widest part of your body is your skin. Right. It covers everything. So, you know, this is the system that we're going to deal with skin, feathers, claws, beaks, and glands. Right. Exactly. So all of these systems provide important functions, and they're all a source of rich information about your chicken's health. Yes. The integumentary system also protects your chicken from the elements, 
It allows them to sense danger and changes in the atmosphere. Do they have a trick knee and then that hurts when it gets a little... I don't know. They might. Maybe they do. <laughs> like my left knee right. hurts before it rains. The rain is coming, yeah. <laughs> the integumentary system controls feather replacing through molting. And it really lets them do all the things that chickens need to do. Yeah, without skin, hey. Wouldn't be good. So there are actually different types of skin with different functions. So we'll just go through each one with a quick overview. Let's do it. So feathered skin. Okay. So chickens have two layers of skin. Yes, they do. They have a thin dermis that's inside. And then they have a thicker epidermis that forms the outer layer. And that is going to be thicker because it has to protect them from the harsh elements. And that's where you're going to get those feathers coming through. Exactly. So both levels, dermis and epidermis, are mostly made up of collagen, elastin, and keratin. These are all the things that we have in ours. Yes. We always say this a lot. Animals and humans aren't much different. There are a lot of similarities. I yeah. mean, because we're in the avian right now, yeah. there are some things that are different, which we'll get to. But yeah, a lot of the structures work the same way. I mean, think about what your fingernails and parts of your skin are made of. Right. They are made of the same yeah. in their world also. There's also a sublayer beneath the dermis, and it's called the hypodermis. Right. Now, this is the area where lipids and fat cells are stored. Yes, they are. The hypodermis is mm -hmm. very light in weight, and the cells are spaced out, so there's actually like sort of air. Right. Supposedly, the air in the hypodermis, as well as the air and lightness that's found in the breathing sacs on a chicken, help keep it lightweight and help it to fly. Right. I mean, that's a theory that I read. Maybe yeah. make some sense. Now, that thicker epidermis, that is where a lot of the action happens. It's like a party, man. I suppose it could be. Chicken skin party. <laughs> the outer skin contains the feather follicles that generate new feather growth exactly. during a mold or after injury even. Yes. The feathers emerge from the skin via the feather follicle. Now, they have nerve and blood supply intact. They're connected to the dermis. Mm -hmm. They will die back once the feather is fully emerged and unfurled. Now, to us, this may just look like feathers like, popping out all over the place. Right. But the follicles are actually attached to precise tracts of skin. Well, that's how they, it's like a roadmap. The feathers, they're not just randomly coming through. There's right. a pattern. Right. There have been scientists that have diagrammed these tracts where right. the feathers come in. And it's really interesting. And the other thing that makes perfect sense is that different tracts may be growing different types of feathers. Yeah. I mean, when you have lacing patterns, you have different colors. The body, and the genetics actually, make up this track. Different feathers, too. Like yes. you might have down feathers, large exterior feathers. You might have fluff. Right. I mean, when you look at your chicken and you look through the feathers, there's different types. It's not just one type of feather. The down right. feathers are the thick feathers that are going to help with warmth. Yeah. And the outer feathers are the ones that are going to help protect the down feathers. Right. So they're all different. But the body and the skin is in control of this. Yeah. So, you know, it's pretty amazing. Now, here's where they're unlike mammals. Avian skin does not contain sweat glands or sebaceous glands. We know this. That's what the waddles are, and the comb is for to control their body temperature. Chickens don't sweat and their skin does not secrete oil, unlike ours. So then we move on to the face, comb, waddle, and earlobe skin. The skin on these areas has two roles. It's going to regulate heat. And body temperature. And body temperature, which is really like one of their number one things. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really important for them. I mean, they are genetically jungle creatures. And? It's like a billboard. Exactly. It, it provides display information both to us and other chickens. Exactly. These areas are sort of rubbery collagen material. Right. So it's very collagen rich. There are lots of blood vessels running through yep. them. There are some pigments as well that control the red color. Exactly. And you'll see the big difference there is that like the Mediterraneans with white earlobes and the white-faced black Spanish with their white face, 
they don't have the same pigments. And then the pigments are also with the skin, it's locked back to hormonal balance. It can also be. with can the chicken. Be. So that's either going to make it a brighter red, a lesser red, hormonally where they are, but it'll right. shine through with that skin. So hormones will indicate sexual maturity. You know, again, you get that bright red color. If you don't have that bright red color, as a chicken keeper, you see pale face, pale waddles, pale comb. It could be a variety of ailments, including anemia, dehydration, parasitic load, parasitic load, heavy metal poisoning. Yes. Pale or purple comb, generally a sign of illness. Generally a sign of a circulatory problem. Kind the of. purple especially. Yeah. So you're, with purple, you're looking at circulation or a respiratory problem. Yes. Now, I will say that sometimes in the, especially the boys with bigger combs, you might see a little bit of purple shading around the outside. On Lucy, I see that sometimes. Yeah. And as far as I can figure out, it usually comes after they've been asleep. Yeah. Maybe it's a little bit of, they haven't had a lot of circulation to that really big comb. Yes. But that's never been a problem. When you have a chicken with an illness issue and their entire comb is purple. Comb is turning purple. That's when you have a big problem. So then we move along to the beak and the toenails. The and now, the toenails. this is what I was talking about, keratin. Yeah. We have this. They have this. This makes up our nails, their nails. It's a tougher material. Right. It's a protein. Right. That grows. Now, chicken nails, just like dog nails, cat nails, human nails, they can get long if you trim them. There is a blood supply in that. It's called the quick. The beak, too. The beak, both, too. Both you have to be really, really careful because you don't want to cut past where that blood supply is. It can hurt them and make them bleed really badly. But the keratin is the same. It can be filed down very gently. So the beak and the toenails allow your chicken to explore their world. I mean, you think oh, about yeah. it. They eat, they bathe, they defend themselves, all of these things with their beaks and toenails. And there's lots of nerves. Beaks and toenails can be injured. Yes. And they will need first aid if it's severe enough. Chickens doing chicken stuff is usually enough to keep the beaks and nails trimmed. Yeah. I mean, if you see some of your chickens, sometimes the nails are a little longer on some of them. They may not be scratching as much as other chickens. Well, like house chickens or senior chickens right. or chickens who have just gotten over an illness, something like that. You may have to trim or file them. But yeah. like you said, they have those veins and nerves. If you're unsure about that, go to your vet. Go to your vet. Yeah. The other, I mean, you can use a little tiny a dog file. or cat nail trimmer. That's what I use if I have to. Uh-huh. Here I have to say in eight years, I've never had to trim a chicken nail. I have had to trim nails. I suppose you can put spurs in the same category. If you can, have someone candle for you so yeah. you can see where the vein runs. That's really helpful. Also, if you just take the very tip of the nail, and a lot of times that's growing out very thinly, right? the quick is kind of a meatier spot of the nail. So you never want to go way back in the nail yeah. and not know. The very skinny tip of the nail is usually what you just need to take the very tip off. Well, you're better off doing several small, tiny yes. cuts than yeah. big One cuts. Big, never yeah. do a big cut Never do a big back. cut, right. And you know what? Andrea with Chicken Love Box... She likes to put the first aid stuff in. Right. And if you get that box every month, you may get some first aid kit. And she did have a really nice little toenail trimmer in there. Nice little toenail trimmer and blood stop powder as well. Yeah. Both really helpful That's the other thing you should have on hand at all times. Yeah. Beak and toenail injuries generally are bad breaks. The beak can rip. And it's like when your fingernail rips away. Yeah. Oh, it looks so painful, man. Yeah. Oh so my you God. really have got to be careful with that. If that happens, we would recommend highly if you have a veterinarian, you go to them first. Oh, yeah. So. For sure. Now, skin on feet and legs. It's different 
They're it scaly. Is. A lot of scientists think that the scales on chicken legs and feet are leftovers from their reptilian or dinosaur forebears. That makes sense, yeah. doesn't it? Those scales are mostly formed from... Keratin. Magical keratin. Keratin is magic for all of us. I mean, it's a protein building block. Yeah, exactly. So the scales are attached to the skin of the epidermis, and they carry all the way down a chicken's lower leg and onto the top of their toes. Yes, they do. The bottom of the foot is a thicker skin that has essentially evolved to withstand pressure from the bird's weight and to minimize abrasions and injury. That little pocket in the middle of the foot is yeah. one of my favorite parts of the chicken. Soft little like chicken when pad. they're Before they're outside for a little bit, yeah. I always like to feel that little because it's so smooth and soft. Soft, yeah. And then when you go out, I like to compare it after a while. I'm like, damn, it's rough now. Well, you don't have any Asiatics. No. Because the Asiatics have gigantic soft feet and they usually stay pretty they do. soft. Yeah. It's so funny because when they're young, I always have to get so soft. Soft and velvety. Yes. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, it's a little rougher now. But yeah, <laughs> it does kind of get, you know, weathered when they're outside. And like you said, it has to be thicker because you don't want the micro tears and that's how they get bumblefoot. Right, exactly. It's pretty thick to begin with, but you have to watch substrate in places that they're scratching. Yes. So with bumblefoot, and we just talked about bumblefoot a couple of episodes ago when we yeah. did leg ailments. With bumblefoot, obviously, you're going to be looking for a bird who's limping or laying down a yeah. lot. Check the bottom of the foot for scab. Those scales have one major ailment. They do, and that is scaly leg mites. Right. So anytime the scales on your chicken's legs are not smooth, it is time to treat for scaly leg mites. It's a simple treatment. We talked about this before. You're going to put some Vaseline on the legs and really push it up. You can put ivermectin in there. You want to push that stuff up under those scales in order to suffocate those mites right. and get them to die. Never fun, but it's an easy treatment. It's something that you can easily treat at home. And given the way chickens scratch around and all the things they do, the scales on their legs are really practical. Yeah. I mean, they do make a thicker skin that helps always, prevent injury. It's funny to me because... I've always thought about this in the back of my mind, like scales, like where the heck, you know, it does make sense that they come from the dinosaurs and their reptile days back in the day, but it doesn't fit sometimes. You're like, these scales are like different. Yeah, it's funny. It is kind of funny. Well, birds are dinosaurs. They are. So glands, we come to the glands. There's one at the base of the tail. Right, right. So there are two types of glands located in the skin of chickens. One is at the base of the spine. Yes, it is. And one is in the skin of the outer ear. Yeah. So the preen gland. Yes, they like to preen. So what you're going to notice, they take their head and they rub that gland because that's where the oil is going to come out for their feathers. Exactly. So the preen gland, it's actually called the uropygial gland. Mm -hmm. It's located above the last vertebrae. It's around the size of a pea. We've talked with Fiona about this and it was funny because she was like, I don't know if she said it or someone else said it, that someone thought it was a growth. And you know what? That's easy to do. Someone told her that, yeah. It's easy to do if you're not familiar with it. Right. But it's a very important part of their skin system and keeping oil in those feathers, protecting from rain and different things. So the way it works is the gland releases a fatty substance and there is a duct Mm -hmm. in the skin directly above the gland. So your chicken scrapes that oil onto her beak. And then she uses it to coat her feathers as she preens. It's really nice to watch. I love watching it. It's also a way to tell that your chicken's okay. We say this all the time when we're talking about a a chicken that we might have that's not feeling well. She's preening. So sick chickens don't preen. 
watching them do this, it's a natural thing that they do to take care of themselves. It's really kind of cool. It is. Now, it's super crucial in ducks. We're not going to get into ducks because neither one of us know much about ducks, but (laughs) it's super crucial in ducks. With chickens, it does give them some weatherproofing, but it's not the same as in a duck. Right. What it does is it helps protect the feathers and helps keep that barring on those feathers so that the rain doesn't break through and get to their skin. A chicken who isn't preening herself will start to look unwell, and really she may need an exam to determine why she isn't preening and if she needs extra care. It goes back to what we say, sick chickens don't preen. Right. So if your chicken's not preening, she may be preening when you're not watching, but if if you've noticed that she's looking scraggly and then you sit down and you say, okay, I'm going to watch her for a while and you don't see it, it may be time to look at the skin to make sure that they're not pale. There's no mites. There's Um, no other things. Mites and lice, definitely. Yeah. Well, really, skin dander itself, the whole integumentary system, one of the byproducts of it is like skin dander for scurf. Right. And that can be feeding grounds for lice and mites. Yep. It is the vector for Merrick's disease. Merrick's disease is transmitted in dander. We've had some questions out there, too. When your chickens are molting and those feathers come through the skin... There is a keratin layer on those feathers. As they groom themselves, it's going to come off and it's going to look like a dandruff on your chicken. Completely normal. Not a problem. So you want to make sure that if you're seeing that, it's from a molt and not from a mite or a lice. Exactly. And the final gland is in the outer ear of your chicken. And it has the same function that it does in the human ear, and that is to create some wax. I was going to say, ooh, it creates ear wax. Not huge quantities of it. No. Just enough of a coating to protect the inner ear from like water getting in. Exactly. Bacteria, et cetera, et cetera. So that is the integumentary system of the chicken. And it's pretty fascinating. And you know, the thing is, once you learn about all these systems of the chicken, it can help you because it will give you those little warning signs that you're going to get before the chicken is really showing signs of sickness so that you can jump in front of it and get ahead of the game and get them treated before it gets really bad. Right. So a lot you of know this, what to look for. Right. A lot of this is like a billboard, you know, and totally. And all these systems work together and it helps you when you are giving your chickens a diagnostic exam. Yeah. Prevention or early treatment is going to save a chicken. Because, early detection. Yeah. Right. Once you're to the point where the chicken's really looking sick, that's a tough place to be. Yeah. So these things and knowing what they are all about is so important. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so let's move on to cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. And this week's recipe is... Spoon bread. This is your recipe. Right. So this November, we are doing some of my Thanksgiving recipes. And last November, we did some of my recipes. Exactly. Which you can find on our website. So just go back to November of 2021 and you can find the DiCarlo recipes for Thanksgiving. So spoon bread is, I think it's very regional. Okay. So it was popular in the South and the Mid-Atlantic during early America and stayed with some families. It's a cross between cornbread and pudding. Yes. And it is so good. (laughs) So good. I mean, literally, if you want to extrapolate, it is cornbread that you eat with a spoon. Yeah. So some versions are more like a souffle. You separate the eggs and beat the egg whites separately. Some have cheese mixed in with them. We're going with a simpler version. Now, I will say for years before my celiac disease showed up, I would make spoon bread and I would pour a layer of heavy cream on the top of it. Okay. And it baked up like with a custard topping. Okay. So good. Well, before you know that you were lactose intolerant. I'm not lactose intolerant. I can't have casein. Okay. Which is a protein in dairy. Which is another different protein. Exactly. And so I've just gone to a a simple spoon bread. It's very good. You can throw a handful of fresh or frozen corn kernels in here if you want to jazz it up a little bit. 
You can also put cheese or chives in it if you want. Exactly. So, so let's go through the ingredients that you're going to need. Two cups of milk, two eggs beaten, two tablespoons of butter, two teaspoons of sugar. And if you're in the DiCarlo house, double that. You can. A cup of cornmeal, a tablespoon of flour, either regular flour or... Or gluten-free all-purpose, right? Yes. And two teaspoons of baking powder for that rise and some salt. Exactly. This is super easy to make, even though it has two eggs in it. And again, we're trying to stay with recipes that don't have a ton of eggs. Right. In case you are having to use preserved eggs or your chickens have slowed way down. We serve this at Thanksgiving. It goes really well at Thanksgiving. Right. It also goes really well with eggs mm-hmm. and ham if you're a meat eater. Okay. Spoon bread and ham together is ridiculous. So you mix all of your dry ingredients right. in a big bowl. Then you put the eggs and milk in, stir them. Now, the one thing you do want to do, you want to take your baking dish and you want to put it in the oven for like five minutes, okay. your heated oven. There's a lot of recipes out there. You want to keep all your ingredients of a certain temperature right. to kind of keep them cooking the way they're supposed to. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like if before you put the potatoes in your stainless steel, you rinse it with hot water to keep that hot. You yeah. Warm up the butter. This is the same type of thing. Right. Once the dish is heated, you take it out. You put the two tablespoons of butter in there and right. swirl it around. Yep, melt it And down. then you pour the batter right over top. I'm not sure if that gives it a good crust. I'm not sure what it does. It may just keep everything of consistency. Could be. You know, like a a same temperature because sometimes that stuff cooks better that way. Yeah, it's true. And then it's a long bake. So you're looking at 40 to 45 minutes, but that's it. It really is that easy. You eat it with a spoon. (laughs) It is spoon bread. Do not overbake it. Then it stops being spoon bread. Yeah, it's not spoon bread then. It's just bread. So 40 to 45 minutes, check it to make sure it's not too hard. Yeah, you want to see it golden around the edges and it's going to rise because it's pudding-like. This would be a good one to make at home and then take with you as a yeah. hostess if you're going to someone's house for Thanksgiving. It's a good side dish, yeah. Yeah, it's a nice side dish for a Thanksgiving table. It's a little of both. It's bread and a pudding. Uh So, you know, it would fit right in on a Thanksgiving table. Oh, it's delicious. It really is. Okay, so try it. Tell us if you like it. If so, send us pictures. We love to see them. Okay, let's move on to retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. Yeah. This has been a fun one to look at. Well, it's Thanksgiving time, and we are all about vintage chicken serving platters. Okay, so I did this last year, many years. I use all my chicken plates and everything at Thanksgiving. I set the table with all my chicken stuff. I use my Pyrex for serving because it goes from oven to table to fridge. Well, that's what you collect all that stuff for. It's Pull it out for the holidays. But I need to bring in, and I have some, these chicken platters, man. They're cool looking. There are some amazing vintage platters out there. I picked up one on a a thrift excursion for you. This was last year. Yeah. I know it was made in California, and I don't think it's super, super old, but it's Metlock's Poppy Trail. Okay. And it's a big oval platter with a rooster right in the middle. The platters are amazing because you're going to need those for your biscuits. You're going to need these for some of your sides that you're going to put out. I have a big turkey platter that's an actual turkey that I use for like my turkey. Right. But- the chicken platters are so cool and they're different. If well, you go on Etsy, eBay, eBay, wherever, and you do find them in the wild. You find them in the wild a lot. But if you want a five-minute computer vacation, go on to Etsy. They have a lot of uses too if you don't want to put food on them. I mean, we've used them at parties and put bundles of silverware tied with a ribbon on them. Anything. And then just the chickens kind of peek through or the chicken print uh-huh. through as people use it. And it shows off what you're about. And if you love chickens, you're going to want to use that. I just love the thrill of the hunt. 
I love well, finding me a good chicken everyone platter. out there knows we love the thrill of thrift hunting. Yes. I mean, it's like a hobby. You know, you can get creative too. If you have a deviled egg platter and you have appetizers that might fit in there, do it. Well, we did, speaking of that, find the appetizer platter that goes along with the deviled egg platter. Yeah. So what was really cool is this is a platter. They have multiples on Etsy that has different trays around it. And in the middle has a chicken. Yes. And it has a bunch of holes on this chicken. Yeah. That's not for salt or pepper. No. That's for toothpicks. Yes. I have a small platter. It was made by Lefton, which is a Japanese import China. Okay. And it matches a cookie jar that I have. Okay. So it's a small round platter with a pillar in the middle made of ceramic. Right. And there's a chicken on the top. And at first I thought, oh, that must be a salt shaker. But she's attached. And there's too many holes. And there are a bunch of holes. You either put toothpicks in there for people to grab and grab hors d'oeuvres with, or you put loaded toothpicks in there. Well, here's the thing. I like that idea because the days of COVID and everybody getting sick, right. you don't want people's fingers on Get the food. Get your fingers out of the apps. Yeah. So having that little chicken on top, that yeah. is so cute. It's really cute. I also have, and we'll talk about these in another episode. I have a, a pair of standalone, you know how I love chicken couples? Yeah. I have a standalone rooster and hen that are covered with holes for holding toothpicks. Amazing. Yep. Love it. Love it. Love it. The other thing that you can use chicken platters for, and there's also different ones out there, are cheese platters. Oh, yeah. There's a plethora of cheese platters that sometimes have the covering because you don't want your cheese getting hard on the table or don't. And a lot of them have the insert. It's like a tile to sit your cheese on and there's chickens on there. Can't say enough. They're amazing. And they come in all different shapes. You can find round. You can find square. You can find oval. A lot of them are oval. You can also find various trays in the shape of a chicken. Yes. If you're a chicken lady and you want to do stuff up right, the stuff is out there to do it. If you find it in the wild, you're going to pay a lot less. You are. You have to be patient. And one of our thrifting tips for platters is if there's a stack of three platters, take the time to sit down and look at each one. Yeah. Because a lot of times they're tucked underneath. A lot of the thrift stores tape the platters. I hate that. They tape the platters. Together. Like if they have three platters. Are they the same make? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like you get, you don't know until you get home. Like they tape the plates oh, together. Good Lord. I hate, no, I hate that when they tape plates together. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. So you have to really look through or it's like the tape gets on the paint. Oh my God. Why do you do this? Yeah. I've got a story about that with something wooden I bought recently. It almost made me lose my mind. If you work in a thrift shop, please stop taping things that have paint on them. Okay, rent over. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And like I said, this is a five-minute vacation you can take right on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer. Look up chicken platters on Etsy. I might do it first thing in the morning with coffee. Yeah. Might happen. And they range in price. Yeah. There's a lot of Italian export pottery, like Majolica style, and that's going to be super pricey, but Mm -hmm. so gorgeous. And then you get less expensive, but really cool vintage looking things like the Lefton mm-hmm. platters. Gosh, there are so many makers. There's a lot of mid-century modern yeah. platters. And those will have a certain look to them. Once you look at the platters for a while, you'll uh-huh. be able to say, okay, that's from the 50s. You recognize can- the art. Some of it's like that Charlie Parker style art. Or the 70s or the yep. 80s. That stuff has that period look to it. Yeah, and it you does. can kind of pick it out once you see it. Yeah. The thrill of the hunt, going to the thrift store if you have a few extra minutes and just taking that break during the day and looking for something, the prices are going to be much better in the thrift store. Absolutely. If you're looking for an identification or you know, like you're trying to complete a set, something like Etsy or eBay are invaluable. Yes. But if you're just randomly looking, you can't beat doing it in the thrift shop. 
there are contemporary makers who make their platters look a little bit like they're vintage. So like Cracker Barrel. Yeah. Cracker Barrel has is a great supply for chicken stuff. Yeah. A line every season that's going to be chickens and they're going to switch it up. They usually do one in the fall and the spring. Most years they do. Yeah. If you don't get it when they have it, then you have to resort to going to Etsy or yeah. eBay. Yeah, because there's such a big turnover with products at Cracker Barrel. That's one where if you see it, you need to buy it. Yeah. Just like if you're in a thrift shop. See it, get, get it. it. Yeah. Don't put it down. No. Just take it and run. <laughs> yeah, essentially, I was trying to think of a couple other brands to look out for, but the truth is it doesn't really matter. There's so many on here. We saw a bunch of cool ones. One with the white face black Spanish. Now, that was a big round plate. And we were yeah. both like, is that a dinner plate? But or they called it a platter. This one right here, vintage mid-century hand-painted relish egg dish. I love it. It's literally like a big square appetizer tray. It has a spot for six deviled eggs. Uh-huh. And then three different compartments to put other stuff with yeah. it. Yeah. And chickens. And it's mid-century if you go on, you can find so much different kind of stuff that's going to set your table apart from everybody else's. Yeah. And here's the thing. Not everybody has chickens. Not everybody's into chickens. And if you are, embrace it. Absolutely. Put it out there. Go look for the stuff. This is the one that I have to buy for you. <laughs> that one. And that's a big round blue and green platter that just has very, very mid-century chickens. They're like blue and green patterned. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Love it. That's great. The platter that I have upstairs in the dining room has handles on the side. It's yeah. big. It's red and gold with a rooster yep. on it. I think I ended up paying like $4 for that yeah. in the thrift store. And I use it if I'm going to put breads on the table. It's yes. big enough. Yep. And just making your tablescapes during the holiday season look the best you can and kind of so inviting. It's an art. Oh, yeah. It absolutely is. And again, don't be afraid to use them for unusual things. Like put a tea towel over top of it with your muffins that you want to keep warm or something like that. Biscuits. Make it look like a piece of art on the table, and then it makes it even more eye-pleasing to people to yes. want to eat it. So show us what you have. Send us some pictures. Yeah, we would love, love to see, see your Thanksgiving tablescapes. Love, love, love. You'll be seeing ours. They'll be going up. Okay, so should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week, we travel to the mountains of Spain. Yes, we do. And we profile the Basque hen. Yeah. Our main topic, we're revisiting the first aid kit. I think it's time. We've had a lot of people asking us yeah. for, for first aid. So we're going to go back to that. Cracking the eggs, we're going to feature my pumpkin pie recipe. Okay. And our retail therapy, we're going to give you a list of our emergency housing options. This for one chickens. is an important one. Yeah, it is. Because believe me, you're going to need them at some point. At some point, it's a good thing to have, especially going into the winter. Okay, so what should we tell everybody to do until next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.